Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to, to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name. My name. Is. Does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. Braxton, <laughs> you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Mm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a, a feminist that works for a nonprofit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. What the hell, man? It's like you just came off a ranch? We're on the ranch. <laughs> <laughs> when someone shows up in a cowboy hat, I don't think we've ever had anybody show up in a cowboy hat. Maybe. We need to diversify your... Listenership and audience here a little bit. <laughs> yeah, we've been out fixing fence all day. Uh, you've been doing that for a couple of days now. You got you moving some cows around? Uh, getting ready for cows to show up. Oh, fantastic, fantastic. Uh, well, as I said to you on um, on email, Cody has decided to leave us to to talk trash about him since he's not here. <laughs> I'll indulge. <laughs> and he is uh, entertaining himself fly fishing with a bunch of marine vets and uh, practicing as we, you know, he enjoys his catch and release, you know, torturing the fish as, as you like to call it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm glad he's out doing that. That sounds like more fun than fencing. Heck yes. Heck yes. Uh, I am back in the office. Finally, I've been out of the, out of the office for three and a half weeks down in real deep south not south africa but new zealand and australia um oh, great epic trip good content jet lag smoked me last week like really smoked me i guess i'm just getting old that's the problem <laughs> it's a long flight it's not that on the way back you actually get lulled into a, a false sense of like oh this isn't going to be too bad because the flight there is like 1445 almost 15 hours on the way home it was 12 hours 20 because we had a 149 kilometer per hour tailwind 
So you're wow. like, oh, 12 hours? Ah, oh, that's easy, you know? <laughs> and what were you doing down there? We were filming some documentaries on... Actually, we, we focused on the three... The, there's three individuals in New Zealand that are, like, touted as the the hunter-led conservationists in New Zealand. And so we went down and filmed them in their respect. And they and they represent three different species because every single species to hunt in New Zealand is essentially invasive, dare I say invasive, feral. But they consider them a valuable resource. So there's sika deer that came from Japan. Uh, there is tar that came from Nepal. And then you've got what they call wapiti, wapiti, yeah, yeah. which is the red deer elk hybrid that Theodore Roosevelt gifted them in 1905. Right. So we uh, we interviewed those three and, and sort of went into the backwoods with them. We also in, invested about seventy five thousand US dollars from a conservation project perspective into New Zealand to fund trap lines to remove stoats and weasels and rats and mice to protect their native flightless birds, kiwis, and then their native blue ducks. Um, Very good cool. For good for you. Yeah. So it's good stuff. It's good stuff. But today uh, and. Before I continue, Gaspar Paracone, welcome back to the Roundup. Um, and you're here specifically because the last time we had you on the Roundup, we talked about the exact same issue. We did. Under different times, unfortunately. So let's, uh, let's just give everyone context. Uh, last time you were with us, we were talking about giving people information about the two bills that were making their way through the legislature as it uh, pertained to wolves, not guns. <laughs> and uh, we were, we were, we gave all of the information. There were two really good bills. Um, they seem to have, as you said, great bipartisan support for the two bills. Yep. And both of them have made it through to be signed by the governor. That's correct. However, there's the this one, however. There is a big however. There is one, and the reason we wanted to have you on and get this out very quickly is a day ago, Governor Polis issued a veto. And he issued a veto on Senate Bill 23256, which was the one that was... With, let me not get it right. What was... Senate Bill 256 going to do, Gaspar? Yeah, so Senate Bill 256, um, as you mentioned, was one of the two wolf bills working its way through, and it was, at its core, a safety net for the state to ensure that a wolf reintroduction into Colorado happened under a 10-J rule. And that 10-J rule is, of course, a provision of the Endangered Species Act that allows a state to reintroduce um, an endangered species as a non-essential experimental population, which gives some management flexibility to the state and provides some management prescriptions for landowners. Um, and it allows for things like lethal take and increased hazing techniques um, for chronically depredating wolves. And so um, the, the bill would have explicitly stated that a reintroduction could not occur until the Colorado had received the 10J designation from U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Mm -hmm. and, and specifically, again, just to hammer home the point, the reason the 10J is so critical 
is under the current guidelines that wolves are quote unquote endangered from a they would be they are quote unquote classified as on back on the ESA in Colorado there are certain restrictions to what you can do at a state level because of that designation the 10J would provide you flexibility for management and lethal take lethal control not lethal take lethal control right. of wolves yeah when you think about the endangered species act there's three designations right you've got what everybody knows as endangered and then of course there is the step down from that which is the threatened species and then the non-listed species and um the 10j actually was a provision that was added later by the u.s congress um, after recognizing that there was not an awful lot of incentive for states to participate in the recovery of species because the standards were so strict and it allowed so little flexibility for landowners and those that would be impacted that they created this 10J section um, as a way to provide some additional management flexibility to encourage folks to want to help in the recovery of endangered species. And um, the as you mentioned, the, the real value is that it, when you engage in a 10J, the reintroduced population is reintroduced not as endangered, not as threatened, but as a non-essential experimental population. And, and with that comes all of the management prescriptions mm -hmm. and flexibility that you just highlighted. So that bill went through the House, went through the Senate. Everyone said, yep, good to go. We think it's a good idea. Even probably, as you said, bipartisan support for it got to the governor's desk and the governor vetoed it. Why did the governor veto this, Gaspar? That's a great question. And I, it, it's a shame. I, I really don't understand the, the logic um, behind this particular veto. Obviously, we, we've heard the explanation that um, they are of the opinion that it would have potentially delayed the reintroduction. Um, they've made arguments that it goes against the will of the voters because we got to remember that um, what initiated the reintroduction effort in Colorado was Proposition 114. Yep. Um, and, and the people of Colorado did pass it. It was a narrow victory, to be clear. But, um, you know, yep. the, the majority of Colorado residents decided that they wanted to see wolves in Colorado. And so um, they had made the argument that uh, Senate Bill 256 would have somehow undermined the underlying intent and the will of the voters and that it would have resulted in a reintroduction and even as far uh even went as far as to say that it might um prohibit or in some way hinder the uh issuance of a, a 10j approval from u.s fish and wildlife service um we obviously don't agree with any of those arguments um but you know it is the prerogative of the governor to exercise the veto pen, and this was clearly an issue where he was willing to do so. Gaspar, is there any legislative action that can undo a veto? There is a legislative action that can undo a veto. Um, when you have a, a, a supermajority, as we do, you know, the, the legislature can overturn a veto with two-thirds of the vote. The problem is, is that the legislative session this year has concluded. And um, so there will not be an opportunity to override the veto this legislative session. Um, the Speaker cannot is... bring them back? Uh, the the uh, special the session governor, could the, be convened. The special session can only be convened by the Governor. 
Correct. And the agenda for that special <laughs> session is obviously also set by the governor and, and um, House and Senate leadership. And so um, there were early rumors of a special session um, on bills entirely unrelated to this one, but those have largely been, uh, well, at this point, let's just say that it seems unlikely there's going to be a legislative session. So you know, to the degree that we uh, were to choose to statutorily fix this, it would have to be done next year um, and next year's legislative session. Okay. All right. So now let's talk about, because this is where, if Cody was on, this is where Cody had some questions and, and I'm sort of relaying what Cody had. And I've also, I'm also interested to understand because I think I'm a little confused. When they say that they felt like, or not they, let's just be specific, the governor felt like the issuance or the idea that a 10J had to be put in place before wolves were reintroduced that would delay wolf reintroduction, is, is, does he know something we don't know? I.e., like, is, is Fish and Wildlife Service on the cusp of issuing whatever they need to issue to the state to reintroduce wolves? Let me reframe this question a little bit, because I think I know where Robbie's going here. You know, the reason that this bill came to be is because um, the administration had interpreted the language of Prop 114, which explicitly says the Colorado Parks and Wildlife Commission must take the steps necessary to begin a reintroduction by the end of this year. Yep. That has been interpreted to mean that pause must be on the ground. By interpreted by the governor. Well, uh, yeah, and the, CPW the administration as by is effectively the one that, yeah, yeah um, you will not find that language in the ballot language itself, right? And so mm -hmm. there was an interpretation that pause needed to be on the ground by year's end. Fish and Wildlife Service has been working on a 10J for the better part of a year and a half now. We have gone through the uh, NEPA analysis, the environmental impact statement. Um, They're soliciting comments on a draft 10J. And they have um, been telling the state that they have ex every expectation to complete the issuance of a 10J by December 15th of this year. Um, when you talk to U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service folks, um, they are working very hard to ensure that that is the case. Um, but this is a big lift. And, you know, if for any reason Fish and Wildlife Service gets delayed in this process, there's this looming question of whether or not December 31st comes and goes, Fish and Wildlife Service has not yet issued a 10J to Colorado. Will the state per their interpretation of Prop 114, move forward with a reintroduction but without they the 10J. they can't. That would be well, illegal. There is an avenue available to them under what is known as a Section 6 agreement. And under the Section 6 agreement, and, you know, it's important to remember, too, that um, when you relocate wolves from a state where a uh, where the wolf is not listed, and there are several in the United States where they could source a population of wolves, they're not required to receive um, permits that allow for the interstate travel of those wolves, so long as you source them from a delisted population. So under the Section 6 agreement, 
that the state currently has in place, they could reintroduce wolves into Colorado without a 10J. Um, but they would have to scenario, come from Wyoming, well, Idaho, I, I don't, or Montana. Montana. Yeah, those three. I don't know Montana. And Wyoming would be another. Um, and then, of course, we have a you know the population of wolves in the Great Lake region as well. And so um, but those aren't covered. But those, but those are not delisted, right? So just the Western Rocky Mountain states would be the ones that would allow for that. So the long and the short of it is, uh, yeah, there is a scenario whereby a reintroduction of wolves into Colorado could happen without a 10J approval. And what is so you know concerning to us here is that that decision might fundamentally be forced on the Colorado Parks and Wildlife Commission by the interpretation of a superficial deadline, <laughs> that December 31st deadline. The state's going to have the choice of complying with their interpretation of that statute or their commitment to move forward with a 10J. <laughs> we tried to eliminate that scenario where that choice would need to be made. Uh, you know, we're really talking about doing this right or doing it fast. And there's a way to achieve both. And, and that was the underlying intent of, of Senate Bill 256. Yep. So, Gaspar, you probably read the same article I did. And I don't know how much of it was smoke. It had a bunch of quotes in it in which there were officials from all those states, Wyoming, Montana, Idaho, that said, no, we're not giving you wolves. I did see that article. Um, I obviously, not being an employee of Colorado Parks and Wildlife, have not been party to those conversations. Um, I do understand, though, that there are a few states that have made available the option to secure a population of wolves for reintroduction into Colorado. Um, now, whether they would be willing to do that without the issuance of a 10J, I think remains a question. Mm -hmm. Some states have outright said, no, we will not give you wolves, mm -hmm. but that uh, is not all of them. So yeah, there, there are still options for the state to secure a population of wolves. And, you know, you bring up a good point here too. Not all wolves are created equal, hmm. and we want to source a population of wolves that will be most conducive to a, um, you know, a, a relationship with livestock in Colorado um, with the, the least impact. And depending on where you source wolves, from what I understand, some are more prone to be, you know, chronic depredators, others because of the natural environment from which they are coming are more prone to stay away. And so they are giving some serious thought to sourcing a population that, you know, will be most suitable for what the conditions in Colorado look like. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I guess, you know, we think the 10J is going to come in. U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service says the 10J is coming. That's the only mechanism by which they can operate under, right? Is there another mechanism? Is there an EA or an EIS that they can operate under? For uh, conducting a reintroduction? Yeah. Is that the question? Yeah, that Section 6 agreement is the alternative, right? And that would be reflected in the EIS as the no-action alternative. And so the, there were three, uh, three alternatives that were listed under the, uh, the NEPA process, and the no-action alternative one would effectively be the reintroduction under the Section 6 agreement. Hmm. And what that effectively means, it, we'd see a reintroduction, 
<clears throat> that would be administered and perpetually managed by U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service because the population that would come to Colorado without a 10J would be classified as endangered. And in that scenario of an endangered population, the state gets no management authority. That would mm -hmm. fall under the sole purview of U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, I think it's important to note here, too, that the state has been explicit in their desire, time, and effort, and I think in earnest, to secure a 10J. Um, the governor has said himself that that is the preferred alternative. Colorado Parks and Wildlife undeniably sees that as the only appropriate path forward. The Colorado Parks and Wildlife Commission um, just recently approved a uh, proclamation unanimously that said, we want to see a reintroduction occur under a 10J. Um, the state has, you know, spent a million dollars to finance the environmental impact statement. Yep. And the wolf management plan itself, which was required to be developed under the proposition, um, and, you know, was the product of two years of stakeholder engagement, two um, state-established working group, one on a technical side, one on a social side, um, just unanimously passed the approval of this wolf management plan. And the entirety of it is predicated on a reintroduction under a 10J. So, you know, from my vantage point, there's a strong argument to be made that, um, you know, to, to the point that the governor had made in his release about this undermining the will of the people, I, I don't see it that way. <laughs> I think the statute was pretty clear in saying that Colorado Parks and Wildlife must develop a plan um, to reintroduce wolves. And it there was kind of two dual missions here in that proposition. One was pause on the ground. And the second was that the commission shall not impose any land, water, or resource restrictions on private landowners as a result of the reintroduction. The only way by which to achieve both of those standards is a reintroduction under 10J. So, you know, reasonable people can disagree, but I, I, I see the 10J as the only way by which to uphold the will of the people mm -hmm. here. Mm -hmm. Guess what? What, is, what are the higher up politicos saying about this? The, the, the leadership, the Colorado leadership that is in, you know, in Washington, D.C. from a a representative and, and senator level? Are they behind Polis? Are they in opposition to Polis? Do, do we know the feelings there? Um, well, like everything in this country right now, you're going to find a whole slew of opinions on that matter. But, um, you know, Senator Hickenlooper recently sent a letter to U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service requesting that they complete the 10J by the mm. December and that's what I was getting. That's what I was getting at is this, if there's any pressure now, you know, in the Senate and the House to, yes. from their, their respect to saying, hey, Fish and Wildlife Service, hey, Deb ha Holland, get, get moving. Yeah, no, I, I think there is vested interest in the Colorado delegation on both sides of the aisle yeah. to see that this is done um, correctly under the, <laughs> the purview of a 10J rule. <laughs> and, you know... What's ironic here, too, is that um, it's also best for the wolves in this particular case, right? Right. 
the management flexibility that would be provided to parks and wildlife and the social carrying capacity for a self-sustaining population will be so much greater when landowners are provided the tools and the mechanisms to mitigate what is inevitable um, wolf depredation on occasion, right? And yeah, it, it, I, I think you could have the same conversation with any number of um, wolf proponents who would agree that a reintroduction under a 10J is, is also the best scenario for establishing a self-sustaining population of wolves in the state. Did the wolf compensation bill get signed? It has not been signed yet. Um, it will be signed. Uh, I understand that it's likely to be signed this Saturday. Okay. Okay. And, then, you know, there's virtually unanimous support for that. <laughs> um, we've carved out $375,000 annually to be made available for compensation to livestock owners who realize some degree of wolf depredation or injury. And um, you, you might also recall that the legislation uh, or the, the language in Proposition 114 explicitly stated that that was a requirement of approval. Yep, that's true. That's true. Well, I guess we are uh, in a wait-and-see type scenario, Gaspar, right? Hopefully it's under 10J and hopefully not under a Section 6, which may see some CPW, uh, you know, I, I don't even know what to call them. Like, you know, getting a trailer and running across multiple state lines and loading up a trailer full of wolves and bringing them back and releasing them, you know? Yeah, I don't know what that looks like either. But yeah, I mean, we are in a wait and see game. Um, we all hope desperately at this point, given that, you know, there is no safety net in place any longer, that Fish and Wildlife Service delivers on the timeline. Um, in the occasion they don't, um, you know, it, who knows what will happen. Um it's been made relatively clear to us by a testimony offered by the Department of Natural Resources um, that they understand and seem prepared to exercise whatever authority is available to them to reintroduce wolves by year's end. So um, it's, it's an unfortunate reality. Um, you know, again, I, I'll emphasize once again that it, it's our understanding that this is the will of the people to ensure that a wolf reintroduction is done correctly um passed out of the house 41 to 22 passed out of the senate 29 to 6 Jeez. the bill was sponsored by every single western slope legislator and it, that's important remember because proposition 114 only reauthorized wolf to be reintroduced west of the continental divide so the the representation of every county municipality Jeez. individual West of the Continental Divide, put their name on this bill. And um, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's an unfortunate reality to find ourselves in. Uh, <laughs> I'm disappointed, like the sponsors are, that, um, you know, the governor chose not to heed the advice of the legislature or, or as we see it, the, the voters in this case. Well, man, I... Uh... Well, we'll just we'll, we'll keep you on speed dial for anything that happens, and uh, I appreciate you taking time out of your your ranching to just sit down in front of a computer for a quick thirty minutes and just talk about this because it's a really current event happened a day ago, and um, yeah, 
Thank you guys for doing what you're doing. We appreciate it. Ah, you're welcome. And uh, we look forward to doing more for you. Sounds great. Take care. Cheers. Well, that's it for today. Appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting. Through the Blackwater bayous and in the dark Louisiana night, floats a duck camp, alive with the sounds of swamp pop and the smells of Cajun cooking. Mississippi Delta in Venice to the Cajun prairies of the Southwest. Me and the Duck Camp Dinners crew will be hunting and eating it all. This is Duck Camp Dinner. Join me, Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois, and the whole crew every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. to go like just full-blown redneck on these fish. This is like high-tech cane pole fishing right here. From the white sandy beaches to the crystal blue waters, enjoy the best fishing Panama City Beach has to offer during Chase in the Sun, Sundays at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.